Stood on this stage night after night Reminding the broken it'll be alright But right now, oh right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength.
Welcome and good morning. Happy Palm Sunday to you today. It's an exciting day in the Christian world as we begin to celebrate the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome you both here in person and also if you are viewing online to worship with us today. At Cypress Bible Church, we have a few missions and goals. Uh, we're a church where we begin where we are, and we become more like Jesus. And so we invite you into our um, discipleship and into our church and to come and to grow with us. And we do this by gathering in life-changing worship, and we pray that our worship today would be life-changing for each and every one of you. We also grow in life-changing truth, and by responding to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we gather into smaller groups and as we grow. Um, and then also we um, go in life-changing missions. And so we always encourage every one of you to be a part of our missions um, program that we have and our ministries. Um, so please take a look at our website if you've not visited in a while and learn more about our ministries. A few announcements for you is our children's ministry is no longer uh, requiring advanced reservation check-ins if you come and you haven't reserved a spot before. Um, so that's a good thing. Just simply go to either the uh, children's check-in site here in this building or to the KLC or the SLC. That's for all children from birth to fifth grade. Also, um, our Sunday morning adult grow groups, are um, there's many of them going on currently. So if you haven't gone to one yet, they occur both at 9.30 and at 11.00. You can find out about those groups at our information desk or by going online. And then also, next week, of course, is Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, however you refer to it. We are having both services at 9.30 and at 11. We would encourage you to show up a little early. 
Um, they will also be um, broadcast live um, online, and so um, please prepare yourself for Easter next Sunday, and uh, there will not be any children's program as well uh, next week. Also, um, let us take time now to call ourselves to worship. Uh, the worship um, comes from uh, Zechariah chapter 9 um, that um, proclaims the coming of the Lord Jesus on Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, bringing righteousness and salvation. He rides in peace on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Let us worship. And uh, we are excited to be here. We're excited to sing with you, not to you. So we would just ask you to join us in this declaration of worship and praise to God as we start this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures
God's story, Palm Sunday. So part of God's story happened on a day we call Palm Sunday, and it begins like this. Remember how God sent his son Jesus to rescue us? Well, not everybody believed that Jesus was really God's son and the rescuer. But the ones who did believe in him did something pretty cool on Palm Sunday. It started just like any other day for Jesus. He was heading into Jerusalem with his disciples. But before they got there, Jesus did something surprising. He stopped and sent two of his disciples to go get a young donkey from a nearby village. He even told them exactly where the owner had last tied it up. They weren't sure why he needed the donkey, but they obeyed him. Kids, would you be willing to obey Jesus even if he asked you to do something you didn't understand? Anyway, when the disciples got back with the donkey, they threw their coats on its back like a saddle and Jesus climbed up. Pretty soon, the disciples saw why Jesus needed it. See, crowds of people came to the road and started laying coats and tree branches to make a path for Jesus. When this happened, many people recognized that Jesus was a king. Only kings came into a city like this. So Jesus rode the donkey like he was a one-man parade. And the crowds praised Jesus by yelling things like, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest, because they believed Jesus was the rescuer. But remember how some people didn't believe Jesus was God's son? Well, they told Jesus to make everybody stop yelling. They didn't think Jesus deserved to be treated like a king. You know what Jesus said? He told them, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. Well, the people who didn't believe in Jesus didn't like thinking about people or rocks praising him. And that made Jesus sad. He actually started crying. And not just crying, weeping. Here, the people were standing next to the rescuer they'd been wanting and waiting for their whole lives. And they were missing it. But even though Jesus cried, Palm Sunday isn't a sad story. Easter is all about Jesus' amazing rescue, and Palm Sunday is a reminder of just how special that rescue is, and how much Jesus loves everyone. And that's the story of Palm Sunday. That video points out something that I think is particularly poignant. When I... Uh, my Bible even addresses that section of Scripture as the triumphant entry of Christ into Bethlehem. But I'm confident that Christ was not feeling the same triumph knowing what was to come. And in that, we need to remember the seriousness of what was to come. It wasn't about the happiness and joy at that moment, though God's not against our happiness and joy. But he's more interested in our holiness first and our holiness that comes in surrender. So join us in this song.
sings my soul, my Savior God to My name is Evan Wepler, and I'm the elementary children's pastor here at CBC, and I am so excited that we get to celebrate baptism today. This is a day that we've been waiting for for a long time. Some of our kids that are getting baptized have been waiting a whole year for this special day. This is a day uh, that Satan has not wanted to happen. This is a day that he did not want to, to see happen, but we are celebrating the fact that the church is still advancing, the church is still growing, the kingdom is still being built, lives are still being changed for Jesus. You see, uh, at, when Jesus left this earth, his instructions were very clear. Go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And so baptism is for those who believe in Christ, a way for them to outwardly show that they identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so in this service, Sawyer Nichols is declaring his faith in Jesus Christ. Sawyer, you can come on down. Sawyer is one of our fourth graders, uh, and he has been waiting, and I've been getting texts from his mom saying, hey, are y'all doing baptism? When's this happening? <laughs> and so we're so happy that it's finally happening. So you can go take a step right there, and he's going to share his testimony. I was about five years old, and one day while my brother Jack and I were playing, he told me that we wouldn't live on earth forever. I asked him why, and he began to tell me about God. He told me that God came down from heaven to save us all from our sins, and that he destroyed death and gave us a new life, eternal life through his only son, Jesus. Throughout my life, I became more interested in him and wanted to know more about him and wanted to follow him. Soon I became a Christ follower. I have fully placed my trust in Jesus, and I love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all of my strength. I want to live as a follower of Christ and to learn to be more like him and do less of the things that only I want. Jesus has saved me. He won't give up on me, and he has washed all my sins away. Now I trust him with everything I have. My favorite scripture is Daniel chapter 6, verses 20 through 22, because God saves Daniel from being killed by the lions. This is also special to me because it shows me that God is a living God who loves us so much and he rescues us when we are in trouble. Awesome. Thank you, Sawyer. Now, this is a day for our whole church to celebrate as well. So I invite the congregation to respond with the following charge with the words, I do. And I want you to uh, respond to this. As part of the local body of believers, do you agree to encourage uh, Sawyer as he follows Jesus and to invest in him as God gives you opportunity. I do. Awesome. And uh, also, I have a charge for Sawyer. So Sawyer, do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and has given you eternal life? I do. Do you desire to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism? I do. Awesome. Sawyer's dad, Charlie Nichols, is coming to baptize Sawyer.
Sawyer, we're so proud of you today. We're so happy to celebrate this day with you. And I know you've waited a long time, and so have we. And we're very thankful for you and all that you are. Sorry, based on your declaration of faith in Jesus as Lord, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the fact that even in this season of uncertainty, we know that you are still God, that you are the God of Daniel, the God that sends us out into the world so that many more can come to know you, um, come to know your son, Jesus Christ. So thank you for Sawyer. Thank you for all those uh, who are still turning to you and having their lives change. Um, and I encourage uh, God, just stir in the heart of anyone else that if they desire to declare their faith in you uh, and show it through baptism, uh, please, God, stir in their heart and, and uh, have them speak to a pastor, speak to someone so that they can show others that they too trust in you. Thank you for the life you give. Thank you for this special day and for all that you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for, worship, or for the message today.
Well, good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you again. Today, as we take a look at our text from Matthew, we'll be looking at the once and future king. Some of you who are uh, literary people, you're familiar with this book title. Um, and so we'll talk about how the Lord Jesus on Palm Sunday is the once king. He's always been king. And now he comes into Jerusalem reestablishing his kingship in the hearts and lives of humanity. So let us um, take a look here at Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that great day, nearly 2,000 years ago today. And uh, by all estimates, it was 33 A.D. And most of us know the story quite well. It was a beautiful video that we saw today of the people placing their palms down, placing their coats down, and um, Jesus riding on a a young donkey. Um, But it's a fabulous story, and it's one that we need to continuously come back. It's one of the reasons why uh, the Church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years will revisit this story each Palm Sunday, um, because I think we live in a day and age where there is great uncertainty. Well, I think every age there's been great uncertainty But there is something to the human heart, to the human psyche, that can rest knowing that there is an eternal king, and he has everything under control. And when our lives, when our world seem out of control, there is one who works all things to his good and to his glory for those who believe. And so let us consider that as we look at the text today from Matthew chapter 21. Hear now the word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the offspring of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that you came into this world to save sinners like this and like us. Um, Lord, you are truly king, and our hearts will never rest until we rest in you. And we pray today, as we are hearing your word, that you would bring your sovereign rule into our lives that we can receive you and trust in you and to know that you are good 
and that your plan for our lives is, a, is working out according to your will. So Lord, reveal your word to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now I mentioned the title of the sermon is The Once and Future King. Um, and so one of the things you need to realize as you read literature that all literature, for the most part, if it's good literature, if there's like a redemptive story in it, it's only stolen it from the Bible. Okay? And so I'm gonna, that's one of the cases I'm going to put forward here. But the thing is, um, this, the, the title of this book was, rewritten, was written in um, the late 50s, and it really helped the people of England to kind of recover from World War II and all the calamity, because in England, the, the story of Arthur that goes back to uh, the 1485 book, The Death of Arthur, really has kind of a, uh, an influence on how they kind of process life and being ruled by a king and this whole legend thing. Um, here in America, we're the same way, right? We talk about the, I mean, legends are also true things too, like the Revolution and the Boston Tea Party and George Washington, the indispensable man who was never hit by a bullet even though he led the charge and how he cut down the cherry tree and he said to his father, I cannot tell a, a lie, father. That's part of the American legend, myth. Uh, but it's real. And the same thing is true with scriptures, that it was prophesied that the Messiah was going to come. That's legend. The passage that was quoted there in Matthew from the prophet Zechariah, he wrote that in 520 B.C., 550 years before Christ came into the, the, into the city. And so we have to realize that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. And sometimes it goes by a different term in commonplace. They'll call it legend, but in the Old Testament, it was prophecy, and God was going to fulfill what was going to happen. And the people of Israel were beginning to wonder whether or not the messianic prophecies were going to come true. And so um, this is just something we should think of. And you can see a similar likeness. Now, of course, I, I chose King Arthur from Monty Python, um, if you didn't figure that out. Um, so um, anyhow, you just need to see how Jesus has always been king. And he is king of the universe, the cosmos. He is king of the world. He is king of all humanity. He is king of Israel. He is the king over everyone who believes in him. And he is also king of everyone who does not believe in him. The question is, do you recognize his kingship? And so that's partly what we're going to see unveiled here today. But let's just look at the word of God from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You want to memorize a Bible verse? That's a great one. You allow that to soak into your mind and into your heart, and you know that Jesus is absolutely in control. He is not surprised. You may be surprised by the things that happen in life, he is not. He has it all under his control. And everything that exists, exists because of him. He is the one speaking things into existence. Hebrews puts it this way. God, in these last days, spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through him, 
through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so look here. The Colossians passage is saying he's once and always has been king. The Hebrews is looking to him in the future because not only has he always existed as king and God and Lord, he also, through his passion, through the cross, has actually proved it and earned it in human flesh. So that's where it says at the end of Hebrews there, you see it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. You see, we could never recover from the sins of Adam and Eve. To make our relationship right with God the Father, it required the perfect man to pay for those sins. It was an infinite, eternal sin that was committed against the Lord, and humanity continues to just sin and sin and sin because we are corrupted by our sin. David said that in Psalm 51, for in inequity I was conceived in my mother's womb. Theologians have called this original sin. Right? You never have to teach a baby how to sin or do wrong. You have to tell a child how to do right. It's the best way to realize we're all born in sin. And therefore, there needs to be a solution to our sin problem. And there was only one solution, and as Romans chapter 5 says, it said that because sin had entered into the world through the first Adam, the second Adam had to come, and he comes in grace and in righteousness. And so it is Christ alone who makes us right. And so he is also the future king because of his work at Calvary. So when you begin to put these scriptures together, you realize, yes, he has always been, he is the once king, he will always be the future king. And he's king because of his essence and who he is, his divine essence, and also because of his work as, 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 as a man, um, because he was incarnated. So let's just look at another verse here for us. It also points to this. The pre-existence of Christ. We know this one from John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Okay, so even our, our whole essence of being, right, it comes from, from Christ, he is, he is the life essence, right? I mean, in Genesis, it says that God breathed the Ruha of God into man. So even our very essence, our souls, comes from Christ. He is the one who holds all things together. So anyhow, um, and then we see how he's going to look at the end when John saw the future. He said, Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay. I hope I've kind of made this point of the preexistence of Christ, that he is the once and future king. Um, I love what John, John 8, 58 says here. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. That was rather shocking to the Jewish leaders. They were like, uh, well, I thought you were like born in, you know, over in Galilee. You know, weren't you born in Bethlehem like 30 years ago? No, I've always been. Okay, so anyhow, 
we see this all throughout the Scriptures. He is the once and future king. So here it is, Palm Sunday, and that is uh, what you see there, the Mount of Olives. Um, and that's the way it looks. I was just there five years ago. And so he comes up over the top of the hill there, and he rides on the donkey down the hill. It's about a 250-foot descent. Um, he's entering into the city this way. He'll enter into the Sheep Gate or the Eastern Gate. And uh, he does so because um, David rode on a donkey through the same gate after he had defeated Absalom, his son, in the rebellion. And so he reestablished, David did, himself as king over Israel. And Solomon also entered into a donkey at the beginning of his reign through the same gate as well. So it was expected to do so. Um, so he takes this pathway, and this is all part of fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling what would have been considered a Jewish legend, if you want to kind of mirror those words up. But this is to fulfill the word of God. Now, the funny thing here, well, maybe it's not funny, I find humor in most everything, um, he says to his disciples, you know, go and steal, <laughs> you know, just go take um, a donkey um, and its colt, its child, um, its offspring, and bring them to me. Okay, this is the interesting thing about Jesus' kingship. Most kings, even today, and back then certainly, they had, they had armies, and they all rode on horses. Jesus is saying that he's king, and he doesn't even have an army, and he doesn't even have horses to ride on. Yet he's declaring himself king. And then he says, if anybody should ask you, whoa, 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 why are you taking those animals? Just do the mind trick of Obi-Wan. The Lord requires them. Okay? So, anyhow, I love it. So, you have to find humor wherever you can in things. And I don't think it was intended to be humorous, but as you read it, it's just like, this is really out of the ordinary, but it also proves that if Jesus has always been king and always will be king, guess what? He owns everything. He owns everything. And when the Lord has re requires it, then you, we're, our response is to be like, if the Lord requires it, yes. How come we're not that way when, like, the offering plate comes by? <laughs> oh, yes, the Lord <laughs> requires what's in your wallet. Anyhow, I'm just being silly, okay, but still, the Lord requires all of us, does he not? And he requires everything that we have. And if he has use of our possessions, we're to, we're to share and give of it. Okay, so Jesus follows his, his inauguration route and plan. This is nothing like the inauguration of a king or a prince. I, I would recommend you go and watching the inauguration of Prince Charles back in 1970. What an affair, okay? Jesus does not go to the expense that most kings and presidents go to, right? Every four years, we inaugurate a new president, and there's balls, and we spend hundreds of millions of tax dollars just to install a new president. There's not a whole lot of ex expense here to install the king of the universe, the king over all of humanity. See how humble the Lord Jesus is. He is the picture of humility. So anyhow, so he, he rides down. You can see the, the path that he follows. And the response fulfills the prophecy written 550 years ago um, uh, that he, he, he comes to them on the donkey on a beast of burden. Now, this is another little interesting fact, but he proves that he's God over nature because a, a young donkey ha has never been ridden before. 
and going through a crowd of people, that animal would have been bucking and would have been trying to throw its rider. No, but Jesus just gets on this animal, and this animal just recognizes who's sitting on him, the one who created him. And so he comes under the lordship of Jesus. So, so this is the amazing thing here, that, that even in the subtleties of the text, you see how Jesus is establishing and showing, I'm king over it all. It's all mine. Now, entrances do matter. On the left, this is how Caesar would have come to your town. He would have wiped you out. He would have killed anybody who stood against him. And he would have come in on a horse, and you would have bowed down to him, and you would have been subservient to him. Jesus enters into the sheep gate, which is the, that's where all the sheep came in. It was closest to the temple so that the sheep would be slaughtered for sacrifice. He comes in the gate of sacrifice. And what he is essentially doing is this Holy Week that we call it, his Passion Week, is a death march for Jesus. Because he is coming in as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And so you see how the people respond. They place their cloaks down. They place um, the palms down. And they do this as a sign of respect. It's, it's what we would call a, a red carpet treatment. Now, Here's the thing, that kingship in an earthly sense is very fleeting. Everybody wants to rule the world, whether it's for freedom or pleasure, but it never lasts. Look at all of these great leaders of the world. You know, I mean, there's Alexander, conquered the whole world, but he died at 33. He got to enjoy it for 12 years, but he had to fight every day for it. This is a juxtaposition for you, that everyone who tries to be king will fail, and they will never hold on to it, okay? That's really one of the more brilliant things about American democracy, that we elect a president every four years, and there's a smooth transition of power. It really is outside of what's normative in human experience. Because of the corrupt, sinful nature of man, we want to be king. And even just think about it yourself. How much do you like to be in charge of your everyday life? Most of the arguments that you have with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents, a lot of times it just comes down to who's going to be in control, who's going to get the final say, and who's right. You're basically just arguing, hey, I'm king over my own life. Don't tell me what to do. Or, you know, when a company makes a decision and all the employees, they all get upset that the company made a certain decision, well, they didn't consult me about it. You know, I would have told them differently. I know better than the board of directors. <laughs> I, work, I used to work for a large corporation. I was part of those conversations. Of course, I would never say anything like that because I understood my position really well. Um, but think about it. Your biggest problem is you want to be king over your life. But there's a God named Jesus who really is king, and you're probably not yielding to him. And that's why you have so much frustration in your life and you lack contentment. So the people respond and they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Okay, so they clearly are recognizing him. And remember from the birth record in Matthew that Jesus is a direct descendant from David, um, 28 generations to Mary and 28 generations to Joseph. Okay? He is of the bloodline of David. 
And his bloodline goes all the way back to Adam, through Abraham, all the way back. He is the seed that was prophesied by God in Genesis chapter 3 who would crush the serpent. So they, 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 they recognize who he is, that he comes and he is, he is going to be the king of Israel and they want him to be the king of Israel because at this point they're ruled directly by Rome and they don't like Roman rule. And so some of the people in the crowd are excited because they think they're going to throw off Caesar um, with him coming in. I love the definition of Hosanna. It says, save us now, King David. When you go through your daily life, would you just say things like, Hosanna, Hosanna. When you say that, you're saying, Jesus, save me now. Right? When you're sitting in traffic and you're frustrated, Jesus, save me right now. Right? When things just aren't going your way, Jesus, save me now. What, what a great prayer that is. And the thing is, by the work of the Spirit, he enters into prayers like that. And the people are calling that out. Now, people love to celebrate greatness and redemption. Okay, the 69 Mets, they got a ticker tape parade. Have they won the series since? No. <laughs> Jesus, has he been reigning as king ever since? Yes. So who are you going to cheer for? Are you going to cheer for the Mets or are you going to cheer for Jesus? That's all I'm saying. So here's the fulfillment of the eternal throne of David. But for David and his descendants, his house and his throne shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Now, let me just stop right there. Notice how the rule of Jesus is a rule of peace. Every other king that has ever existed at some level is by force. At some measure by coercion. And they always want your tax dollars. You know, we have a voluntary tax system in this country, but try not sending your taxes in on April 15th and, and see how coercive um, the king will become. But Jesus rules in peace, not with coercion and not with force. King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David will be established before the Lord forever. I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So, I think that's the thing that we walk away with. But here's the thing. Jesus proves and earns his kingship by his sacrifice. Philippians 2 says this, that Jesus Christ, who already existed in the form of God, there's that whole pre-existence of, of, God, of God thing, the pre-existence of Christ, right? He's always been king. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning that you can just go out and you can just be king just because of your own nature. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and becoming born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember, that's an execution chair. It was a horrible image. Matter of fact, you see this image that I have up there of the crucifixion I probably spent 30 minutes trying to find an appropriate picture for this. Because it's really hard to look at Jesus on the cross. And it was gruesome. And I think sometimes we forget how gruesome of an event that was of Christ going to Calvary and what it cost him to die for our sins and to give us eternal life. 
But he humbled himself even on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My admonition to you is confess that he is Lord. That is what this life is all about. And the church of Jesus Christ has been proclaiming his good news, that there is salvation and salvation alone through Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, today on Palm Sunday would be the best day to do it. Okay, maybe Easter Sunday even better, but today is the day of the Lord. Today, if you've never yielded yourself to Christ, yield to him. He is king, and he's absolutely proven it. And he's died for you. His love and his mercy he extends to you. And he gives you righteousness before your Father in heaven. He adopts us into his kingdom. And he makes us co-heirs with him. He gives us everything. He sacrifices everything and he gives us everything. Now that is a king who is worthy of us to serve and to follow all the days of our lives and all throughout eternity. He is a beautiful God. He is a beautiful king. So yield your hearts to the Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to do a little compare and contrast here. The Passion Week was a death march for Jesus. He knew that he was going to be crucified on Friday, on Sunday morning. How would you live your life today if you knew that you were going to be executed on Friday? Do you think that might have some sort of psychological and emotional effect on you? Yeah. Some of us have had to undergo scary types of surgery. You know how that kind of just hangs over you? Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to have open heart surgery on Thursday. Right? You don't think about anything else. Well, that's how it was for Jesus. He knew that he was, he was facing um, death on a cross. But notice how kings, when they aren't live on earth, they just march and they celebrate and they bring, a, they bring death to others. The rule of Jesus is, he overcomes death, and he undergoes death. He does not allow you to go under death. He sacrifices and dies for the people. He also submits himself to the judgment of men. I mean, he could have gotten out of his judgment by Pilate, right? I mean, he could have. He even says so. But kings will subject people to their judgments, and people have to perform their duty. Christ does not require of us duty. He requires of us faith, to trust, to accept him. This is how Jesus is so beautiful. So let's wrap this thing up with our response. Our response to Jesus, recognizing that he alone is the once and future king and he alone saves, um, let's invite him into our hearts daily to rule over us. One of the things that I think as Christians that we can do and people have done is they'll view Jesus as ruling over them today on Sunday, but then during the week they'll go and do whatever they want. I think Palm Sunday and trusting in Jesus is a little like a soldier's homecoming. You ever see the kids all gathered, maybe it's at the airport, waiting for Dad to come home, and he comes down off of the airplane and he's got his uniform on, and the kids just go nuts right? It's kind of like watching Charlie baptize Sawyer today. If that didn't bring a tear to your eye, what does? But you see those kids then run to daddy 
and they're so happy that daddy's back. One of the things that is going on in that experience is that the dad, who is by God's grace, the head of the household, he's being reestablished as king over that family, so to speak. And so that's what Palm Sunday is saying, that Jesus, because of our sin, people have rejected him, but he is reestablishing himself as king. Allow Jesus to firmly establish himself in your heart as your king. Just look at your own rule over your life. That's what brought me to Christ when I was 17. I had made such a mess out of my life by age 17, it didn't take me long. And I knew that I could only make sense out of life if I had the one true king living for me and in my heart. So that's what we mean by appropriating his grace, knowing that he doesn't rule harshly over us. And I hope today that through this message of Palm Sunday, that it will lead you to worship and celebrate the King of Kings.
please remain standing. Um, I just have one last announcement for you. One of the roles I have as pastor of care and counseling is I oversee both our benevolence, that's our mercy giving, and also our disaster response. And last month there was this winter storm thing, and um, pipes burst, and homes were damaged. And um, our church responded really uh, incredibly effectively, um, and, and, and really by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, our, our team leader um, for our disaster response, he's actually been trained, I've been trained as well, um, is, is David Othold. And there are a number of guys on the team, and, and women, and I wanted to bring them up here to recognize them, but they're all so humble, they said no. But the good news is the guys who've been, and the men and women who've been serving in our disaster response, um, here's what they did. We had 45 families, 45 homes damaged by the winter storm in our church. 45. A member of our church in disaster response went to every one of those homes, inspected, helped with plumbing repair, helped with drywall, helped to remove stuff, clean up, helped them find contractors, helped them negotiate and walk through the insurance claim process. This is real ministry. And then at the same time, uh, we started a fund, and money's come in, and it's come in at such a large amount that the word is, please, don't give any more money to it. <laughs> because we're probably going to have some left over for our next disaster. And what we're going to be able to do is, of these 45 families who have, you know, have been damaged, um, they're submitting all of their receipts and so forth and their insurance claims, and it looks like just about all of them, we will be able to cover all of their out-of-pocket expenses. And Acts 2.45 says this, All the believers were unified as they shared their possessions and gave to those who were in need. Is that not a beautiful response to the kingship of the Lord Jesus? And does that not encourage you in Christ as you are faithfully committed to our church, knowing that our church is living out the implications of scriptures? So hear now the benediction from 1 Timothy 1.17, Jonathan Edwards' favorite Bible verse. Now unto the King Eternal, the Lord Jesus Christ, immortal and invisible, the only true and wise God, be all glory, honor, and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless. Like a wildfire in my heart, a Sunday morning.